Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. We welcome you to the broadcast today. We have been studying the life and times of Abraham, the patriarch, and the first Hebrew since uh, the last week in December. And we're continuing on uh, for a time. (coughs) We were studying last week in chapter 16, about Sarah's actions to procure a heir for Abraham because he is much distressed over this, and God has made him promises. And uh, apparently um, uh, they're not all that patient. And, and it has been many, many years. We're aware, well aware of that. But nonetheless, um A child was born, but it is not going to be the child of promise. It is not going to be the heir of of Abram to continue the line that uh, God has promised uh, Abram a number of times. And we're going to get into more of that today as we turn to chapter 17. We welcome you to this broadcast and hope that as we study uh, Abram, 
and his wife and his travels and all that he did, that we will see the connection between Abraham, as he was would be known in this chapter from now on, uh, to the Christian faith. Um, because all that was promised Abraham has come to fulfillment within the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus, who was the seed, if you will, singular of Abraham and the promised Messiah to the covenant people of God. All of this is, of course, tied together. And um, these, I think, to be honest with you, these sorts of things should be the foundation of our understanding in the Bible. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I don't think it, it is. And it wasn't even in mine, and I had a wonderful experience and good teaching, but <clears throat> I guess these things were all supposed to just work together as a big picture. But unless they're pulled out and clarified and really explained, well, I think maybe sometimes we, we don't quite grasp it uh, until much, much later. It'd be nice to have had a lot of this understanding earlier on for our, for our own usefulness um, within the church. But nonetheless, that's what we're attempting to do here. Um, and we're, we're going by, uh, not only are we talking about the account, but we're giving us some dates, such as uh, where we left off, was the year in chapter 16, the birth of Isaac, was the year 2134 B.C. <clears throat> That's where we left off. Now we're going to skip ahead another, uh, let's see, Abraham was 86, so another um, uh, about 13 years. We've skipped ahead 13 years that we could subtract from that 2134 because Abraham is now 99 years old. Now, he has not an heir between himself and Sarah as God had promised, but this would come to pass soon. As a matter of fact, in the next couple of chapters, we'll, we'll see it clearly. And these are very interesting chapters uh, 17, 18, especially 18 is a very uh, interesting account. And then chapter 19, uh, as we get into more of the historical uh, situations that are going on in the life of Abram and, and his descendants. So, um, and that's 18 and 19 we're talking about probably get to those next week. Not in complete reading, but still um, uh, we'll, we'll follow the, uh, the story and the, uh, all of the different circumstances, the timing and all. And the location, the geography is also important here, being in Palestine now at this time and uh, Abram moving around. So, Chapter 17, let's just look at it from the Septuagint, which we like to read from because it's uh, 
I think it's just a, a little better rendering than even some of our best Bibles uh, in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am thy God. Be well-pleasing before me and be blameless. By the way, we're going to look at these in just a minute uh, about the, the references to God and, and what it means. Um, we have uh, uh, the uh, Darby version of the Bible gives some very good uh, Hebrew references concerning uh, God using his name in different areas and what it really means, uh, the type. Um, and I, I think that's also very interesting. And God is speaking, of course. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell upon his face, and God spoke to him, saying, now, this is a position of deference and worship that the, or, the people of the, uh, the Oriental people uh, are still doing, as a matter of fact. Uh, that's a position of submission to a higher power or an authority. Verse 4, And I, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of a multitude of nations. Now that's a that's a good translation there. And thy name shall no more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For I have made thee a father of many nations. And I will increase thee very exceedingly, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will... Establish my covenant between thee and thy seed after thee to their generations for an everlasting covenant to be thy God and the God of thy seed after thee. And I will give to thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou sojournest, even all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be to them God. Be God. I don't know what that A is doing in there. Uh, nonetheless, um, now, this is God speaking to Abraham in the first eight verses. I want to point something out. Um, the uh, most of our Bibles read in uh, verse uh, chapter 17, verse one, "I am the Almighty God." All right, uh, that is uh, that is the Shaddai, the uh, uh, Almighty. It's plural of Shad, okay, and and it gives the force of Almighty. It will always be representing Shaddai. In other words, uh, God is the Almighty. That is El Shaddai. You've heard that probably in music and things of that sort. El Shaddai is um, 
equals God Almighty. So not, not all of our versions give that. But you see, this is uh, God introducing himself again, once again to Abram uh, as the El Shaddai. And as a matter of fact, as it goes on, um, see if I can find another reference here in those verses. Uh, behold, I, we have in verse um, 4, all right, others, that means as for me is what it really means. Um, as it goes along, by the way, Abram um, is, uh, just means, uh, is, is just a name, but when, it, when he changes it to uh, Abraham, it is literally father of a multitude, and that's what it means. Uh, I don't think that that's in any of our versions, English versions, but it is in the Septuagint, which is good. All right. Now, um, when I when I see a different a change there, I will I will note make a note of it. Uh, in in this case, at least. All right. Well, let's move on. And um, God's speaking to Abraham, and of course, Abraham's in the right position to to listen and to appreciate. All right, verse uh, verse nine. We're we're coming to the some of the covenant uh, situations that God is going to now put in place for Abraham, who is the 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 patriarch of the Hebrew people, uh, the patriarch of Isaac and Jacob, and the, and the the sons of Jacob that would make up the um, nation of Israel and the Jewish people uh, in, in the whole. So, <clears throat> verse 9, And God said to Abraham, now we'll find that this is the way it will be now, he's no longer Abram, thou, thou also shall fully keep my covenant. You see how God is so specific. Abraham is not just the the king of the covenant. No, no. The king of the covenant is still the one who instituted. God is the king, if you will. Abraham is going to be obedient to the covenant as every other person was called to be obedient to this very same covenant. And I think that's important. Uh, the same way we have, we don't have uh, power figures within the the, uh, the church of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. There are no other power figures within the church. And we have the same thing within this covenant. And I don't think that the people really accepted this all the way for a long, long time. But nonetheless, this is coming back to the foundation of it. I think this is critical to know, that Abraham was also obedient to the covenant. Thou also shalt fully keep my covenant, thou and thy seed, after thee for their generations, all of them. And this is the covenant which thou shalt fully keep between me and you. 
and between thy seed and after thee for their generations. Every male of you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and you. And the child of eight days old shall be circumcised by you. Every male throughout your generations and the servants born in the house, and he that is bought with money of every son of a stranger who is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with money shall be surely circumcised, and my covenant shall be on your flesh for an everlasting covenant. By the way, the idea of the everlasting covenant means as long as the covenant is in place, all of these things are to be in full uh, full mode. This goes for the all of the promises, uh, all of the uh, territorial geographic properties, things of that sort. And this is where we've fallen away from understanding the scripture. Uh, covenants have a beginning, as we know, and they have an end, as, uh, as we find in the New Testament in reference to the end of this covenant. That's why they, the, the speaking and the conversation in the New Testament concerning the phrase last days, these are the last days. It's the last days of this everlasting covenant that was given to Abraham. Let's go on, verse 14. And the uncircumcised male who shall not be circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin on the eighth day, that soul shall surely be utterly destroyed from his family, for he has broken my covenant. Now, these are the ordinances, and they, and they, they were withheld, and I mean they were obeyed. All right, and and right. Um, now the idea of circumcision in the modern world is a, a different thing. It has nothing to do with this. It has a lot to, more to do with what uh, medical professionals uh, felt and things of that sort. <clears throat> Nonetheless, this is for the covenant uh, people um, very long ago. In verse 15, yeah. The truth of what it it's what it represents is still upheld in the in the you know in the new covenant. It is, and and that's that's why it's that's where it really finds its value. Right. The yeah, the circumcision of the heart. Yeah. Um, it, it's it, it's made. It was for a sign. Yeah. It was to just make a distinction between the the covenant people and others that not part of the covenant. So obviously if you were unwilling for this, then you had no part with the covenant people, which means you were not uh, you were not in the family. You did not you did not benefit from the family. You were on your own. Um so utterly being utterly destroyed from the family, I'm not sure just how far that goes, but it certainly means separation. All right. Well, you know, Neil, the truth of what is written is as true as it ever was. 
But you, know, you always have to study about when, you know, who was writing, who was speaking, who was being spoken to, and when was it going on. And really, if you get those yeah. things down, then people don't bring the Old Testament into their now mm-hmm. like they were somehow part of it. That's right. And you brought up the how we understand the Bible. If we don't apply those things to this material, we would think that we're supposed to do it today. And you're uh, anything. And, and you, you're not aware of what's really going on. That is not the sign of being a Christian, being circumcised. Uh, in that method, you want to learn about that, you read the New Testament and you find a, a, a different idea uh, on that, as Alex was bringing up here. This is how God works amongst people. Right. You know, let's face it, we need some visuals uh, to help us along. It's the first thing that, that gets our attention, is the visuals or hearing something, uh, and that's what this is about. So, reading and yeah. So we we're we're trying to apply all of our uh, uh, translation skills to everything in the Bible, regardless of the uh, how ancient it is. It's all old, and some of it's quite old. But <clears throat> we need to understand it in the historical content and the literary con- content uh, to understand it at all. That's why God wrote, had these words wrote, uh, written by those, and that's why he's protected it all these years, by his providence. Verse 15, getting close to the end of the chapter here. And God said to Abraham, Sarai, Sarai, thy wife, her name shall not be called Sarai any longer, Sarah shall be her name. So Sarah means, in the Hebrew, it means princess. That's the definition. I think I mentioned that one other time. But that's what it means here. Um, you know, uh, the name Eve for women is has the idea of the mother of all. Um, Sarah is not the mother of all. She's the mother of of the covenant people of, of, of God, you know. But nonetheless, she's the princess, which is fitting when we consider the, you know, this being a part of God's kingdom, if you will. All right, verse 16, And I will bless her and give thee a son of her, and I will bless him. Now see, it's not only he's going to give a child, but it's going to be a son. And he will bless that son. And he shall become nations and kings of nations shall be of him. And Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and spoke in his heart saying, Shall shall there be a child to one who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear? And Abraham said to God, Let this Ishmael live before thee. Now I want to pause here. Because in Abraham's mind, he never heard 
of anyone becoming a father at 100 and a mother at 90. All right? Which is interesting in itself. Um, because, you know, the, the patriarchs lived to be hundreds of years old. But as far as the childbearing years for the women, uh, it wasn't, they weren't having children when they were three and 400 years old, okay? Apparently. So, nonetheless, we, we find this. And now Abram is actually pleading with God to accept Ishmael. Ishmael. Mm-hmm. But God has already spoken about this beforehand, and now he's reaffirming it again. And he says this to Abraham in verse 19. And God said to Abraham, Yea, behold, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, to be a God to him and to his seed after him. And concerning Ishmael, Behold, I have heard thee, and behold, I have blessed him, and will increase him and multiply him exceedingly. Twelve nations shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to thee at this time, in the next year. Now remember, they were 99 and, and I guess 89 um, at that time, but next year. And he left off speaking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Now let's go ahead and finish the chapter. We're talking about Isaac now, or uh, Ishmael. And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all his home-born servants and all those who, uh, all those brought with money and every male of the men in the house of Abram, and he circumcised their foreskins in the time of, in the time of that day, according as God spoke to him. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And all the period of that day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son. And all the men of his house, both those born in the house and those brought, uh, uh, bought with money, of foreign nations. In other words, Abraham's possessions, because they were his, they represented him, and and he was responsible for them. Uh, that was that was the uh, the law and the custom of that day. All right. So we we see a lot of things happening here uh, in this chapter. Lots of changes, if you will. That all will. Uh, pertain greatly to the things that follow for the covenant people. Um, And we find here, uh, as we talked about before, the definitions of God. Um, uh, First off, we start with the the idea of God itself in uh, 
um, in the chapter just before uh, where the name Jehovah is given. Jehovah is the the reason many translations use Jehovah is because Jehovah is the word that represents the L, E-L, L. That's the shortest version of, of the written form of God, L. And that's Jehovah. And um, if you've ever seen some of the Dead Sea Scrolls and things, uh, the Jewish, uh, they never wrote the name of God. They used little, little uh, they look like little X's or little symbols. Uh, and some, they're not all the same uh, amount, so I'm wondering if they're not writing something like Jehovah or, or uh, the other things that we find. Uh, El is Jehovah, so um, when, when we have El Shaddai, we have Jehovah, God, uh, the Almighty God. You see, all of that works together. Uh, also, Abraham's, Abram's name was changed to Abraham which is official at this point. And the meaning, of course, in the language was father of multitudes. And he was told that kings would come from uh, out of him. The idea is out of. Um, the same way that we view uh, the Son of God being out of God. The only begotten of God is Jesus, his Son, um, out of God. The only one out of God, by the way. <clears throat> so all these things are very critical. Um, and then the everlasting covenant, God has said, is between God and Abraham and between God and his seed. And when we consider this is this is where I'm trying to make the connection uh, and firm it up every time it comes around. The covenant that God was give, had given to Abraham continues through his seed, continues through, in other words, the Messiah, the birth of the church, and, and the promise. You know, we are sons and daughters of Abraham through faith. Through faith. Now, faith is, is the is the thing, of course, that uh, Abraham had, even though it was called uh, um, his obedience. But he believed God. The word believe and faith and trust, all those are very closely related in the Greek language. Um, and uh, they, have a, they have a lot of things that are very common to, to each other. Uh, believing, uh, that's what Abraham, he believed God. But he was hearing the, the word of God. He was hearing God speak. He believed on, upon him that he's heard speak, and he understood. Um, and because he believed, that was credited righteousness to him. Now, Abraham lived before the law was instilled. He, he lived to please the, the God of heaven. He lived to please the one he knew was, was uh, the El Shaddai and, and the other concepts of God. Um, I had another reference here that I was trying to find. 
I don't have it. Uh, of course, Abraham's name was changed, uh, and so was his wife Sarah, and her name became um, the uh, Sarah, which is means simply means princess, and it would mean the same thing today uh, under those circumstances. There's been a lots of Sarahs born in this world. Now, the last thing is that circumcision, the physical sign of the covenant people of God, was instituted by God for Abraham to be obedient to himself and every male in his household um, from that time forward. So this is why we we find, uh, um, is is there any wonder uh, that during the New Testament time, during the days of the apostles, the the Judaizers were out there going into church after church group and demanding circumcision uh, from the Gentile people if they wanted to be a Christian. See, they were trying to tie these things together in a physical way when they'd already been taught by the apostles that this was a thing of the past, that the circumcision now was the circumcision of the heart. Mm -hmm. Through faith, through faith now, you were a child of God. You did not need the physical manifestation of circumcision any longer. And it was, of course, very improper uh, to demand this of Gentiles, regardless of the gravity of it and the grossness of the whole subject matter. Uh, This was a real issue, okay? And it probably caused a lot of destruction within the the faith of many people at the time. A bad circumstance. We have to be careful of these things even now. Not circumcision so much, but other things that that are laid upon us, if you will. So, I like this whole idea of Abraham being the father of multitudes and how he's trying to manifest, how he doesn't even have a son from his wife yet, and yet he's told all of these things. A multitude? What is a multitude? That is, a, that is an, almost an uncountable number. Just as God said that, that the, the, the sand on the sh- and the seashore and the Stars in the sky, that's how many in his generation, uh, how many he would, uh, would come from him. Hard to understand. Um, I want to turn to Exodus, and we can read also in the Septuagint, in this Exodus chapter 3, because all these things had, had a... Uh, they had a fulfillment... In, in part, or at least um, uh, a little bit at a time, and then, of course, a complete fulfillment uh, through uh, the uh, birth of the, new, of the church and the new covenant. But I want to skip ahead to Moses. Now, we're, we're around uh, what I say the date was, about 20... We're about uh, 23 or 2115 B.C., let's skip ahead to about uh, 15, uh, oh, about 1505 B.C., some, 
during the days of Moses, just before he uh, came back to Egypt. Probably, maybe not that long. It might have been only about uh, 1501 or 1502. We don't know exactly on that. Uh, we, We know a lot of things about his age and all, but this is during the time that Moses was in Midia and the burning bush and where the Lord is going to instruct him as to what he's going to do for for who? The covenant people of God that had now grown from what we see here in chapter 17, just a handful, a houseful, if you will, to if we read uh, Exodus, we'll find that there is nearly 2 million Jewish people in Egypt at this time that left Egypt, and there's others that left with them. Anyway, I want to read this. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 11 through 17 only. Uh, We could read it all, but we don't need to. Um, Well, let me read verse 10 too, because it's talking about Pharaoh. God is speaking to Moses, right? From the burning bush. And now come, I will send thee to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and thou shalt bring out my people, the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. You see, these are God's children. These are the covenant people of Abraham, all of them together. And they're all in Egypt at this point. In verse 11, And Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and that I should bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. By the way, Moses knew that he was also a Hebrew at this time. He, he knew that. Um, but he doesn't feel comfortable back in Egypt. No, he doesn't. <laughs> and he really wonders why it should be him. Even though, remember who Moses is? Moses was a prince of Egypt. Read Josephus about Moses. He was the top general of the Pharaoh. That'd be the father of the Pharaoh that is now reigning. He was the top general, conquered many lands, uh, spoke many languages, and also could read many languages. Probably one of the most educated people in the known world at that time. A prince of Egypt. That's who he had been. And God spoke to Moses saying, I will be with thee, and this shall be the sign to thee that I shall send thee forth. When thou bringest out my people out of Egypt, then you shall serve God in this mountain. Now this is all part of the sign. So... Okay, let's move on. Verse 13, And Moses said to God, Behold, I shall go forth to the children of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of thy fathers has sent me to you. And they will ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? You see, this, this was, a real, was a real issue, wasn't it? 
because God was referred to as uh, the you know ma- many things, but it, it was the the father of the creator of their people, that um, uh, the one true God. And God spoke to Moses, saying, "I am the being." By the way, that that's the translation. Instead of just using the I am part that we're stuck on today, the, the idea of the being, that, that's the real subject here. I am the being. And he said, thus shall you say to the children of Israel, the being has sent me to you. And God said again to Moses, thus shall thou say to the sons of Israel, the Lord God of our fathers, you see, that's how he was known, uh, Jehovah El, and all the different phrases that go with El uh, as to the attributes of God. The Lord God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and my memorial to generations of generations. Go then. And gather the elders of the children of Israel, and thou shalt say to them, The Lord God of our fathers has appeared to me, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, saying, I have surely looked upon you and upon all the things that have happened to you in Egypt. And he said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of the Egyptians to the land of the Canaanites and and the list of Amorites, Perseites, Gerseites, and Ebites, and the Jebusites. Those are just the tribes living in that land at the time. And this is the phrase here I want to get to. To a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, God also promises Moses in verse 18 this, And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou and the elders of Israel shall go into Pharaoh king of Egypt, and thou shalt say to him, The God of the Hebrews has called us, and we will go then a journey of three days into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to our God. All right. And that's how it began for Moses. Um, so the, the the name of God, in in a sense, then, as translated from the Hebrew, is the being, uh, with a definite article. In other words, uh, the origin of life, if you will, the being. Uh, no date on that. It just the reference is. Of course, there is no being before the being. No God before our God. No other God in that in that idea. So, um, now that's from the Septuagint. It's a very good reading, and uh, to me, it, it's a it's a it fulfills partially the idea uh, of Abraham's multitude. And we don't get the number here, but later on in Exodus, we we can count them up, person by person, from all the different tribes, and and the people that that went with them, 
there were other um, uh, nomad type people, shepherds and things that lived with the the Hebrews and had had for many many years, and they were they always traveled with them. Matthew chapter one gives us the lineage from Jesus all the way back to Abraham, right. and when you start That's going right. back to that many generations, the multiplication, yeah. the, the math is gets yeah. gets very very large. I mean, we're we have it all. We have it from one end to the other, and then the other end back the other way, uh, and then we have all of this in Genesis as far as the lineage goes. Uh, we've just got so much, so much proof. Um, that's why uh, Brother Humphreys was able to put together this timeline that I've been using um, and giving it dates, you know, starting with uh, the creation of Adam in 4168 B.C. That's the way the numbers fall out. <clears throat> and what we do, the way those, these charts are made is there are firm numbers in history that we know. That are that are true, um, and we can go from those numbers back and from those numbers ahead, <coughs> and and those numbers confirm with other numbers that are hard and fast as far as being recorded in other places even. So uh, this is a great uh, a great help. I think a time timeline chart and this sort of thing, is, especially when it's tied to the Geography and the history of the people involved is absolutely critical in understanding the Bible and especially in understanding the New Testament. Because, friends, if, if we... Uh, I go back to many, many years ago in the service when it was customary to give people going into combat areas, the military would supply them with what they called the scriptures. And the scriptures were pretty much the same, I think, everyone I ever saw. It was the Gospel of John and the uh, Psalms. That was the scriptures. So um, it would be very hard to understand a lot of John if it was if by just having the Psalms, uh, even though there's some, a lot of good things in the Psalms, uh, prophetically and otherwise, uh, not and historical in some ways. But nonetheless, at the end of the Gospel of John, uh, the question that most people come to is, what, what do I do now? That's why the scriptures go on. Uh, in the pivotal point in the Bible, if you will, as Brother David always says, is, is the very next book, as we call it, Acts, the second chapter. There's the pivot. All that came before, we know now, that's history, past tense, and now, now that pivot point gives us what we to do now, what, what follows. And we, then we have a historical record of the last days of the Jews and the beginning of the church and all these things as they work together in those uh, next approximately 40 years. So uh, we will look, begin looking at uh, chapter uh, 18 next week as it, as it deals with um, Abram again, Abraham. And, and Jehovah is going to appear to him again.
but in a little different way, okay? Uh, and, and we're going to go forth from here uh, with the account of Abraham. And I hope this passage in Exodus gives you an idea of it, uh, confirming that God's promises are definitely sure and do come to fruition uh, within the historical records uh, in the life of, of the Jewish people. Yeah. And that is, is foundational for all that is Christian in the world today. All right, let us, let us pray as we dismiss today. We thank you, Father, for your word, for the, not only the truth of it, but the way it was given to us, Father, in a way that we can stand upon it in faith and in the, in the power of the gospel, in the power of all that you have given us. May it, sh- may it shine forth, Father, to those that are seeking to know you and to find a better way in the world that we have this day. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.